In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable stars. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as The Binary Saga. Log entry, Haimavina 84, 2389, Age of Enlightenment. Hey Jason, I can't believe I missed you on Tegan Station. I have to say, I am jealous you got to be at the first contact event. When I watched the recorded event on JCN, imagine my surprise when I saw you in the background. I had no idea you were going to be there. My hand terminal started buzzing as others saw you and messaged me to make sure I was watching. You always seem to be making history. (laughs) It sounds like you had a great time, despite feeling like you were used as a prop. I've been to a few of the after-action meetings in preparation for the second event. Diane Leaf said that the trade sessions consisted of a lot of talking past each other and tabling issues, so you didn't miss much there. I heard that your talk on the Midpoint Anomaly and the CS3 mission was very insightful and well-received, so I think it's safe to say no one knew that you were hungover. (laughs) Aunt Juniper said that she enjoyed getting to spend some time with you and showed us the hare you gave her. The whole family is jealous that she got to see you, none more so than me. She recounted the play-by-play of the game during Sunadog Brunch. I wouldn't be so confident in those so-called draws. Let's just say, you may not know Aunt Juniper as well as you think you do. (laughs) Also, Daya said one of the highlights of her trip was seeing Harik's face when you gave him that little verbal slap. (laughs) As you probably heard, I attended the second round of trade talks. I had not planned on going because my girls are still very young, and I did not want to be away from them that long. In fact, I have never been away from them longer than a couple of days. However, at the Vonglitbug, Helena pulled me aside and said, My dear, you must know the real decisions are going to be made during the second meeting. Why would you not want to be there, making a difference? I am no fool, and I know when someone has been coached on exactly what to say to persuade me. I quickly scanned the room for my two prime suspects, Bjorn and Oli. Both of them pointed at each other, and proclaimed, Innocence. (laughs) But then everyone joined in to convince me, and Bjorn even offered to travel back to Haimavina to watch the girls. They would have loved that, but they stayed home at the estate with my parents and our nanny, Matt. According to my mom, the girls barely noticed I was gone, but asked if Bjorn was coming over every day. Since the anomalies were first detected, the fleet has prohibited anyone from flying towards the Von Lal system. However, this construction of the Tangan Station has significantly increased the number of thrill-seekers willing to skirt the no-fly zone, and the fleet has been working overtime to keep the private spacecraft at a potential danger. Aunt Juniper said the worst offender has been a former ECAL pilot, now flying commercial charter, who charges reporters a fair price for an attempted glimpse at the station. Each time he's been caught, he claims that the fleet is preventing him from earning an honest living. (laughs) Juniper has assured me that he takes payment in advance 
and doesn't offer refunds. <laughs> to support the trade talks, the fleet created a designated interstellar departure zone for official spacecraft traveling to Tangan Station. This proved to be a logistical nightmare because interstellar flights have limited arrival and departure points in system, and it's obviously very dangerous to have multiple ships in such close proximity. In fact, interstellar-capable spacecraft have tightly regulated schedules both in the Alithian and Aluda systems for this reason, and the special zone apparently caused chaos despite weeks of warning notices from the fleet. The flight for the second event consisted of several First Fleet ships and two Hoxa Executive Starships. Because I'm a private sector advisor, I traveled on one of the lovely Hoxa ships. After the shields closed, we were served breakfast, had time to get some work done, and I met with a few people before arriving at Tegan Station. The government employees, including all of the diplomats and representatives, were required to fly on one of the fleet ships, which had temporary jump seats installed in the cargo hold. I heard they got a bagged snack. <laughs> Once we arrived, everyone's excitement grew as we boarded the shuttles. I was sitting next to Ruby, a Hoxa xenobiologist, who could not stop grinning the whole way to Tangan's hangar platform because she was finally going to meet Quinn, a LaR representative she had been friends with since they were kids. When I exited the shuttle, I had to stop and look at everything. I was on a facility built by Velens. I remember touching the walls when Ruby giggled to me. It's not Vela, but it's close enough. <laughs> I agreed. As we crossed the hangar, I took a sharp breath at my first glimpse at the Velen delegation. I may have been speaking with you my whole life in vid messages, but to see a Velen in person was exhilarating. I was standing with Sion Taya Kirstad from Yasna, and she commented, They are such a handsome and vibrant race. We must look so plain to them. I could only smile as I was mesmerized at the spectrum of amazing scale tones and how they shimmered when people were introduced. Since this was the second meeting, the introductions were more informal, and only the principals paused for a few quick photos. As everyone was getting orientated, coordinating schedules, or catching up with a few colleagues before the session started, we all heard, Ruby! And I turned to see Ruby embrace a bronze-scaled Velen man in formal dress. Ruby and Quinn held their hug for a long moment as everyone applauded quietly at the beautiful sight of two old friends finally meeting face to face. I was a little jealous, because I'd hoped that moment would be you and me. The drama concerning the accommodation on Tangan Station is embarrassing, and the official reason provided was that the fleet did not feel that they could secure their people to their satisfaction for the first event. I have learned over my many years of personal experience to accept and respect security's judgment. It's their job to make sure everyone goes home to their families, including themselves. For this trip, I was told that the fleet's security requests were met and everyone would be allowed to stay on the station. The last-minute decision to deny the accommodation request for all the Samcoma representatives and staffers makes me suspect that someone attempted to pull rank or claim a higher clearance than they actually have, so fleet security flexed their own power. I heard there was quite a verbal exchange following their decision. 
To add more snow to the avalanche, fleet security allowed private sector advisors and Hoxha staff to stay on the station. As I laid in my luxurious bed, in my decadent suite with views of the cosmos, I took pleasure in knowing that Minister Mortensen was stuck in a cramped birthing cabin with three other officials. <laughs> my schedule was completely packed for the entire three days. I can say, like the Empire Trade Talks almost 30 years ago, the same people still love the sound of their own voices. During a few quiet moments, I swear us Hymavenans and Velens looked at the Alithians like they were the actual aliens. I mediated more than a few arguments and quickly learned that my Velen was far better than I thought it was. In fact, my Velen slang caused several Velens to laugh brightly and comment that I spoke nearly as well as a native. I was flattered and said that I had a very good instructor. <laughs> Both delegations eventually managed to set differences and egos aside, and we got a lot of good agreements ironed out, considering the vast differences in our economies and political ideologies. As expected, most of the trade will start with consumer goods, such as textiles and luxury items. Raw materials and technology discussions are still a ways off, and our technology proprietary laws will be a challenge. Sorry, no electronics or hand terminals racing to Velen shelves just yet. The most interesting and well-attended session by far was titled Culture, Religion, and Ideology. The Velen and Mana anthropologists ran it like an academic symposium with a dual presentation. The discussion and dialogue went so well, it continued into the cocktail party. All in all, I think we met our objectives for the second set of talks. The deliverables for the Council and the Samcoma are clearer and more actionable than before because we actually got to discuss the documents thoroughly in real time, rather than trying to interpret intent through long transmissions. Now, on to the fun stuff. During the cocktail party on the first evening, I was standing with the deputy director of Hoxha, Jeremy Skarsgar, and the Veronian representative, Alona Leskin, when I heard a familiar voice say, You're much shorter than I expected. And I turned to find a smiling Javi. He grabbed me in a huge hug and swung me around. <laughs> we both cried happy tears, and then we started laughing. When he put me down, I kissed his cheeks in a mana greeting reserved for family or good friends and I watched his scales shimmer. Javi quickly told me that he snuck into the party, so I took the opportunity to introduce him to a bunch of people while he was there. Javi, true to form, soon became the life of the party and kept everyone laughing. He also flirted hard with Alona, which is understandable, as she is tall and incredibly elegant. I didn't have the heart to tell Javi that she's also 198 and a great-grandmother. <laughs> Alona told me later that she had not been hit on by a cute young man in a long time, and that he made her year. Javi also asked Jeremy if Hoxha was recruiting. <laughs> I think the most embarrassing and exciting moment for Javi was meeting Admiral Sven Farrell, the ranking fleet officer and a member of the Von Lichtburg. Javi froze as Sven approached us, because he looks very menacing. Sven stands well over six and a half feet tall, and is really broad in the chest, and has deep crimson eyes, but is as sweet as a farhoon. Even after Sven sweetly greeted me with kisses on my cheeks and gave Javi a fleet salute, Javi remained frozen. 
Sven gave his jovial laugh, clapped Javi on the shoulder, and said, Come on, kid, let's go get a Bjor, and tell stories about the crazy things we've done on a spacecraft. <laughs> I remember later, looking over at the bar, and I saw Sven and Javi were hanging on each other in laughter. <laughs> Javi and I did get to meet up one more time for dinner at one of the station's restaurants. He told me, you sold him a pile of fake colutes again because his assignment was mostly shuttling around dignitaries and scientists, not sitting in sessions, having drinks, and playing games with my Aunt Juniper. He expressed condolences for Andy, and we chatted about pay and my girls. We may have been most of the way through a bottle of citrus, when Javi asked, So, you're single now? <laughs> I think even though Javi's trip was less profile than yours, he seemed to have a good time, despite what he tells you. <laughs> oh, I almost forgot the weirdest thing. One evening, a Velen council member from Laar named Nuha joined the group of people I was standing with and began asking Jeremy questions about being in Uncle Helgi's astronaut cohort at ECAL. It was odd, considering his public dossier doesn't mention that information. And then Nuha noticed me and said, Well, CJ... You have grown up so much. Everyone, including the Velens, stopped speaking. In monoculture, titles are always used in formal gatherings as a sign of respect, especially when addressing someone you don't know personally. As our races are still learning each other's customs, I asked her politely, but firmly, I'm sorry, Madam Nuha, do we know each other? The other Velens, clearly educated in our customs, seemed keen to watch her drown. She quickly realized her mistake and apologized, which I accepted and chalked up to me being a well-known figure. It happens a lot to my mom. People often assume they know her because she's famous. But Jeremy, who is an easygoing guy, was much more suspicious of Nuha's personal questions toward him and Helgi. After we got back, Minister Mortensen announced that the next official Trade Talk event would be scheduled in a couple of years to allow ample time for the new agreements to sit in committee with the Sankoma. We also have an election cycle coming up, so I guarantee everything we just did probably will have to be renegotiated depending on which party comes into power. I'm just an advisor, so my work is done for a while, and I can focus on my day job. You know, running a technology corporation. <laughs> Needless to say, I was happy to return to normal. And life did return to normal. The girls are thriving in school. Astra is even on a kid's swim team and placed third in her first tournament. I attached a video of her telling you all about it in her broken melon. It's very cute. And you can see that she's wearing her new swimwear. <laughs> Bjorn sent me a massive new business venture we've been working on since I returned. Reese and Raythea have also been here as well, because Reese and Helgi are working on some new project, and Raythea wanted to spoil the girls, as only Raythea could. <laughs> In big news, Kai and Mari had twin girls, Daniela Iria Nuspark and Geira Kali Jorgensen. Traditionally, family names are passed by the mother's line, but Mari wanted their kids to carry our family names. They are the sweetest babies, and you should see my girls with them. They are enchanted. I attach pictures of the girls holding the babies, and it's so precious. 
Kai and Mari are tired, but could not be happier. Which brings me to ask, any news on your appeal process to have a child? I think your mom must have told my mom, because everyone in my family now knows. <laughs> We're all crossing our thumbs for you and Aaron. As you know, it's been over three years since Andy's death, and Javi isn't the only one to notice that I am single again. You remember, before I met Andy, I was never a casual dater. But I thought maybe I could test the waters, and I actually went on a few dates. Most of them were pretty terrible, because I never knew what to say. Or when the conversation turned to Andy, they would ask details on the accident, which always made me feel uncomfortable. I decided that the dating waters were too cold for me, and I figured I wasn't ready. <laughs> but one day, I was waiting for my vehicle outside of the private shuttle port in Stromsheim when Jeremy called out to me. He had just arrived from Alondra and was staying for a couple months to visit his family. Jeremy and I have known each other for years, but really didn't become friends until working on the trade delegation, where we kept each other sane during the meetings. He couldn't believe how much we had in common, despite our age difference. I don't even notice it, because with a few exceptions, I am rarely around people my age. Anyway, we end up getting together for drinks later that week, which led to dinner, and then to morning room service at his hotel. <laughs> we began seeing each other, and it was great. The first time Jeremy introduced me as his girlfriend, I blushed, because it had been a long time since I had been someone's girlfriend, and I liked it. Even my family liked him. Well, except for Bjorn, who called him ugh, uninspiring, and my dad, who said, Sweetie, maybe aim a little higher than someone who peaked as a bureaucrat. <laughs> dad. But as Jeremy and I grew closer, we realized our relationship wasn't going to work with him living on Alondra, which is where Hoxha is headquartered, and me splitting my time between Haimavina and Viron. Both of us had long-distance marriages, and neither of us wanted to do that again. In fact, that was the reason why he and his wife divorced. So we parted as good friends. We still talk, and I recently met him for dinner the last time I was on Alondra. I would never tell him this, but he healed part of my heart and I learned that I could let myself have feelings for someone again. No, I did not introduce Jeremy to my girls, but my relationship with him got me thinking that it was probably time to have that big talk with the girls about love. So one evening, we piled on my bed, and I told them how I will always love their daddy, but how one day I might meet someone who will want to love me and them like their daddy did. I finished barely fighting back tears from dredging up all those feelings. Astra responded, and to my surprise, said they already had this discussion in their sister's tent, and drafted an approved list of potential boyfriends. <laughs> yes, my girls made an actual list. You should know that Javi made their list. They like his shiny silver scales. He's in good company with a cartoon superhero and the barista who always brings the girls an extra cookie and calls them his little warriors. <laughs> the girls and I recently returned to Viron, just in time for the big midsummer neighborhood block party. The celebration has changed over the years, from honoring the harvest goddess 
to celebrating the longest day of the year. Modern Mana use it as an excuse to build bonfires and have a big cookout and drink. Huh. I guess every Mana holiday is really an excuse to get together to eat and drink. <laughs> it was great to be back and see everyone. I made sure to share a few of those bottles of amazing citrus from Hobby's family farm, which were a big hit. At the party, Bjorn's father Nikolai told me that he had seen the recording of the culture session and said the academic world was buzzing. He told me that he was selected to be the next speaker for the culture session and will discuss mana languages and the ancients. Isn't that great? A couple nights ago, the Laurelin sisters took me out for one of their sister nights, and Bjorn happily stayed with the girls for the evening. We caught up on everyone's gossip over pitchers of ale at the local tavern. The sisters were dying to know if Javi was as cute in person as he is in pictures, and if I scored a kiss with a villain. They also wanted all the dirty details of my relationship with Jeremy. After much razzing and silliness, I asked the sisters when they were younger if they had also made a potential girlfriend list for their dad. They laughed and said that they had, but Janine noted that the current list only had one name. This resulted in three women in their 60s giggling like little girls and clinking their drinks. I sat there thinking which of Bjorn's flings they were referring to, and hoping it wasn't any of those harpies. Ugh. When I got home, Bjorn was asleep on my sofa. He barely stirred when I took off his reading glasses and moved House Tyran's financial prospectus from his chest. I draped a blanket over him and left him to sleep. The next morning, he was in the kitchen making apple waffles for the girls as he handed me his famous hangover smoothie, which I gladly accepted. He told me how perfectly behaved my girls were, and I told him I will never drink with his daughters again. <laughs> my girls crashed into the kitchen, and Astra loudly announced that they had updated their list and handed it to me. And then the girls sat at the kitchen island and cheered when Bjorn flipped waffles onto their plates. I looked at the list, and I started to laugh. <laughs> Bjorn glanced over my shoulder and said, why am I on a list with Javi, Captain Cosmos, and the barista from the Steamer's Cafe? I told him I was still too hungover to explain. I still haven't told him. My girls cracked me up. Love always, CJ, age 54. Log entry, Bella 85. Vela Rotat 2709, cycle 11 of the 9th Annual. Hey there, Siege. Sorry for the later than usual reply. Things have been super busy here. I am currently on an assignment that has me pretty far from home, but oddly close to Tanga Station, so communication is still fairly good. This is one of the stranger missions I've been asked to lead. It's a purely scientific run. We are out here performing our own investigation on the anomaly. This has been an ongoing investigation for a while now, but it's my first time running it. The VSA has determined that it was indeed some parts of the CS line of craft that were causing the interference that we have been seeing on both sides. The ongoing theory is that something in the code on the Haimavina side of the technology is what activates the interference. Because of this, 
What they've been doing is using a mock-up of the CS engine to chart out where we start seeing anything weird. It's not the full-scale engine, just the power supply and the portal projection unit. Which means that we can't actually use it to travel anywhere, but it was the smallest and easiest parts to replicate and load aboard this vessel. For the last six annuals, we have been running along the midpoint of the border between our two systems, and then activating the projection unit to try and initiate any sort of interference. Most of the time we get nothing, but every now and then the system lights up and our warning lights go crazy. While it's not a full-on indicator that it would cause issues with the craft, it's a good way to tell that the area could be dangerous. We usually just plot what happened, mark the area out as a no-fly zone, and then move on. Some of the scientists get frustrated because they want to hang around longer and run more tests, but this is more of a charting mission. We log all of the readings, and we'll take them back home for the full team to go over. Oddly enough, we have picked up on some of the signals from your rogue eCal pilot while we've been out here. Don't tell anyone, but it's actually helped us a little bit. Anytime they cause the anomaly to spike, we get a ton of readings on it, and even better, we have been able to use those readings with our own to start triangulating a source. Nothing definitive yet, but it looks like we are narrowing it down quite a bit. I'm hopeful that if we keep doing this, we could find out what's causing all of this mess soon. One of the great things has been the cooperation between the Haxacraft and the VSA. It would appear that they are doing close to the same thing on your side of the divide, and there has been a lot of sharing of information on the anomaly. With any luck, what we are doing here will help with the ongoing testing that is going on back home. Believe it or not, they are working on the next version of the CS craft line. The CS4 is under construction, and it should be even better than the CS3. It will have better shielding, an upgraded SI with faster processing, not that our SI was anything to shed off. It did save our lives, after all. It looks like it's going to be a great vessel with a lot of improvements. Sadly, I won't be in line to command it anytime soon. Even though my experience with the CS3 would make me a great candidate for it, the VSA is looking to bring in a full team of other experienced commanders. Something about spreading the knowledge base around amongst test pilots. Honestly, I think I'm okay with not running that mission whenever it finally comes around, because I'm ready to be able to fly a stable vessel that can behave the way it's designed to. Especially if it's something that can make the trip to Haimavina and back without taking a shortcut halfway across the galaxy. I have some more great news that recently came in from back home. The council is ready to hear my case for the banishment of ceremonies. Mom sent me a message a few cycles ago that they have worked their way through the queue of cases and mine is now up for review. Unfortunately, I am not there as I am out on the edge of space doing my job. I can't even remote in or do some sort of vid call with them because of time delays and light lag. All of this means that it has to wait until I'm back home before they can make any official ruling. 
Mom said that they could probably do it all without me, since the whole thing is obvious and, aside from me sitting uncomfortably in a chair while they go over all of the infractions of people I haven't talked to in Rotats, or ever, it's policy to have those under review present for the hearing, though. And Mom thinks that it would make the process much faster and easier to be there in person. Which means that, as soon as I get home, it should all get taken care of. I'm certainly excited over the idea that this weight on my shoulders could be lifted. And I know that Aaron is interested in starting a family, but at the same time, I have to say, I'm a little nervous about the whole prospect. I had grown so used to the idea that this was just something that was part of my life now. The fact that it could be so completely changed, and that the stigma that has been applied to me for so long could be lifted soon. It's a little overwhelming. For the most part, it hasn't ever been a big deal. Most of the people I meet, or those that really know me, don't even mention it. But I know that there are some of the more traditionalists out there that think that what happened with my natural parents was justified, and that we should be following the rules that were laid out by our ancestors, regardless of how we may feel about them today. It's like jumping from one type of outcast to another. I understand that there are specialists on hand to discuss these issues, and Aaron and I will be making appointments with them to go over all of the concerns. Keep your thumbs crossed for us. I'm sorry that I missed you on Tenga. I was able to sign up for the first trip because I saw that you were initially supposed to be there on the delegation, and I acted very fast to secure the spot. You can imagine that a lot of pilots and commanders are competing for the chance to head out there. When the second round was announced, there was already a waitlist for the spots and my name got bumped down because I had already been there. The good news is, is that I should be able to sign up for the next one whenever that happens to be. When the latest round of folks returned, they went into discussions about the agreements that happened and have already started making plans for the terms that were discussed and plans for what items we can start off with. I know that when I was there, I had a lot of the same feelings walking through the corridors of Tenga Station. Seeing the walkways and walls, and knowing that at some point, you would be there walking the same paths and looking out the same windows. I could imagine you there walking with me as I pointed out how a particular bulkhead was designed to look like a wall from CNR, or an archway that was made to look like it was from Hafnina. Which room did they put you in? Many of them are the same, but for some dignitaries they have themed rooms that look like they are from different cities around both of our planets. I didn't get to stay in any of them, but I saw what they looked like and was amazed that they seemed even larger than my flat back home. By the way, you can tell Taya that none of the villains think that Mana look plain. I spoke with some of the others during my time on Tanga, and the most common conversation was about how elegant most of your people looked. Jealousy over the hair that you can style in different fashions, and the clothing that everyone wore. I was used to it from all of our conversations, but to a lot of them, this was their first real introduction to mana lifestyle, and they were blown away. I imagine that one of the first requests from the trade talks is going to be for clothing. Oh, and uh, thanks for taking care of Javi while he was there. I say that sarcastically because he won't shut up about that trip at all. 
I was actually pretty excited to take on the mission that I'm on because out here, I don't get quite as many calls or messages about something or person he forgot to mention. And oh, by the way, here are some more pictures that I took. He mentioned that he wanted to do a vid call with me while he was there, but that they locked out any sort of outbound transmissions other than official communication due to security concerns. I'm a little sad about that part, but I understand. Instead, he just kept replaying the vids that you two took together and all of the photos with people that he met. You did look really happy in the vid, and I felt the jealousy that you had with Ruby because I knew that it should have been me there. Now I just get to listen to Javi say that he got a kiss from you before I did. Ugh. I thought he was insufferable before. I was not the only one that thought the Javi was being a bit choppy with his actions. The VSA was not happy with his little adventure on Tenga either. They found out about him sneaking into places that he wasn't supposed to be and were ready to levy some serious punishment on him. But due to the contacts that he made with various high-ranking individuals on both sides, they decided that a stern talking to would suffice. That and being assigned to moon duty for the entire Rotat following his return. Like you said, you don't mess with security. Apparently your friend Ruby has a contact in high places. Mom was telling me that she spoke with Quinn after he returned and they went out for dinner to talk about the Tanga meetup. They discussed some of the trade talks, but mostly just shared stories about communicating in the peer program and growing up talking to someone from Haimavina. She was also a little jealous that Quinn got to meet with Ruby after such a long time. He has apparently been messaging Ruby since they were kids, and she got to see him grow up to be one of the leading representatives of La'ar. He and Mom were talking about how similar their journeys were. I guess that's something we're all going to start feeling as more and more people visit Tenga to see people they have been communicating with for so long. I can almost see it becoming a lot like Lakula'ar, in that it will be a tourist destination for anyone on both sides. Of course, it would need to be built out more to accommodate that many people, but it's already getting close to as big as Lakula R. Just think, in a few more Rotats, we would be able to take a vacation to hang out on Tanga together. Okay, maybe that's being optimistic, but it could happen soon. Pretty soon, I'm sure that Kai and Mari will need to take a vacation seeing as how they have those two new babies to take care of now. Did you give them any tips on how to raise twins? I will have to send off a message to them, congratulating them on the occasion. I know how much they were looking forward to being parents. I'm sure they are excited. Or has that worn off yet, the realization setting in on taking care of two young ones? The pictures you sent look adorable. I sent them off to Javi, who had not seen them. I guess Mari's latest message to him didn't have the news yet. I'm sure she is going to get flooded with messages in the next few cycles. Mom did want me to pass on some information about Nuha for you. She apologized for how Nuha behaved on Tenga. Mom says that she is mostly harmless. Something about how before the council revised a lot of their privacy laws, there was some sort of monitoring that used to happen for the peer program and a lot of the communication between Vela and Haimavina. Nuha used to be assigned to Mom's communication with Helgi, and I guess she got to know them both really well. So she was excited to see you, 
even though she doesn't really know you. After the monitoring program was disbanded, Nuha went into cultural studies and liaison training for the council, which is why she was there and involved in the talks. Mom had a good talk with her and reminded her that the culture there doesn't tolerate that sort of familiarity and that she should know that already. From what I heard, Nuha won't be going back to Tango for a while, so Jeremy can breathe a little easier. Speaking of Jeremy, I'm not sure what to say. I know it's been a while since Andy's passing, and I'm happy that you're meeting new people and getting out there to live your life. You should know that you should not feel like you have to. I'm sorry to hear that it didn't work out like you had hoped. Jeremy would have some big fins to walk in to fill that role in your life. It sounds like that you kind of knew that, and it wasn't the right match from the beginning, though. Andy was the biggest part of your life, and you will always have that. You don't have to find anyone that can be what Andy was to you, because you already had that. On the other web, you should not let anything prevent you from seeing what life has to offer. There are a lot of experiences awaiting you that don't have to be romantic in nature. It's kind of what I meant all those rotats ago about seeing what's out there. If I hadn't met all of those various people that Javi still holds over me, I would never have grown into the right person and then found Aaron. The people in our lives and the time we spend with them help us to find those who are most important to us. Even if Jeremy doesn't end up being someone that you think of as a partner, your time with him helped you to see what you want out of your life. Even though I never really went out with Navi, I still hold her in regards as a friend. And talking with her all of those nights in the lounges back on Chona helped me realize what I wanted. That's what people like Jeremy can do for you. So I think we need to talk about this list you have now. I think that Captain Cosmos would be a good suitor for you. I mean, they did save the Eluda system from certain doom from the evil hands of Dr. Nebula. Who wouldn't want that? Even Aaron has a crush on him. She has been binge-watching a lot of Heimavinen shows lately. The other names on there are a little concerning. Javi? Seriously? I can't think of anyone who is more opposite of Captain Cosmos than Javi. I did notice that there was a name left off the list that made me a little sad. I know that I'm with Aaron and a full light rotat away, but was there ever a time where I might have made the list? We both know that it couldn't happen now, but I thought that it would at least be a consideration over Javi. Bjorn, I can totally see. I'm pretty sure there is something there with him, and has been for a long time. Look at the way he takes care of you and the girls, even flying across the galaxy to make sure that you're okay. I'm not convinced that Bjorn isn't actually Captain Cosmos himself. I mean, sure, there's that claustrophobia thing, but every hero has to have a weakness, right? Or is that some sort of cover story so that you can't find out his secret identity? Wait, is Bjorn Captain Cosmos? A hero from another world comes to Heimavina to save everyone. I think I need to rethink everything now. May the waves guide you to the stars and back. Jason, 55. 
Log entry, Haimavina 85, 2390, Age of Enlightenment. Hey Jason. Well, we are back on Haimavina after being on Viron for an entire year. I was happy to give the girls a little stability in our ever-mobile lives. When I told the girls we were coming back, there were a lot of tears and tantrums, as you can imagine, because they were leaving all of their Veronian friends. The girls told me that I was ruining their lives, and a jerk face, and my current favorite, the worst mommy in the whole universe. (laughs) I'm sure my mom is going to have that printed on a t-shirt soon. (laughs) More joys of parenthood you and Aaron can look forward to. (laughs) In all seriousness, I'm not going to pretend to understand the stress you both are going through as your case finally comes up for appeal. I wish I was there to be called as a character witness so I could explain to the council what kind and generous people you are, not only to me, but to my daughters. And I'm glad that you're going to be there in person. Better to have the council see you and Aaron together. If I was your advocate, I would tell you that appearances can make all the difference to your jurors. And I'm not going to say that I know they will rule in favor for you guys. I am still superstitious. When I'm crossing my thumbs and hoping for some good news... Oh, I should explain where I am. I'm sitting at the kitchen island at the Laureland Vacation Place in the very trendy city of East Marion, outside of Hockney. I'll give you a reference for where that is. Hang on. Let me flip this around. Okay. We're across from Hockney Bay. Now, from the Landry Bridge over there, we're looking northwest. See Elysium Stadium? Okay. Behind it, up in the foothills, is Orchard Cross, where the Academy is located. If we keep going into Hopnina proper, there's the Asana Tower, and then obviously downtown Hopnina. If we keep going west of downtown near the entrance of Hopnina Bay, that's West Bay, where I grew up. By vehicle, we're about an hour away from my parents' place, if you don't get caught in traffic on the bridge, which can be a nightmare. Anyway, we're here this afternoon because Sonnet and Erico are having furniture, food, and other stuff delivered before they arrive this week. Okay, check this out. What do you think of my flower crown? It's pretty nice, right? My girls are too old to be swindled by washing worthless rocks and breaking them to find non-existent geodes. And I found a new way to cater for their love of pre-ancient literature. I often purchase different varieties of craft flowers, ribbons, and other materials so the girls can make flower crowns like this, which were worn in ancient times. The girls also craft wands, wreaths, and long garlands. Several stories are about their namesakes, Astra the Warrior, Ragna the Great Jarl, and Callista the Swordmaster. It was Andy's idea to name them for these legends. He was really cute about it. In fact, I'm reading them a book called The Ancient Myths and Legends of Haimavala that Andy once gave me. We're only about halfway through it, and since we're back on Haimavina, The girls are eager to go to the ancient library to learn more. We even have a trip scheduled to see the newly excavated castle in Vicksburg in eastern Yodok, where Empress Hera once lived. It'll be lots of fun, as the archaeologists are discovering that many of the pre-ancient legends and love stories that the Alithians assumed were just fables were actually real people. Speaking of books, Rune finished Racing the Wind, which is about his experience sailing with Team Barbarian and Andy's death. Rune told me that he's written about other athletes dying while competing in their sport, 
but this one was the hardest, because Andy was his friend. The book has received numerous prestigious accolades, and apparently is in the talks to be optioned as a feature film. Rune is such an extraordinary writer. He wove in the evolution of competitive sailing from monoholes to foiling segbits while returning to his first-hand experience. The book is as beautiful as it is heartbreaking, and how he captured Andy was just... perfect. <laughs> Lord Perfect. <laughs> I've attached a copy for you, too. <sighs> well, Javi did seem worried that he was going to get grounded by the VSA if his antics were discovered, but Moon Patrol doesn't sound too bad. More flight time is probably not bad punishment for a pilot, right? Oh, did you see the vid of Javi trying his first Millie Malikoff shots? <laughs> I thought his nose flats were going to curl inward. It was Jeremy's idea to give Javi the real hazing they used to do with new astronauts at ECAL. I'm not sure if you've heard, but there was an incident near the midpoint anomaly. A Hoxha research ship got too close to the no-fly zone and experienced a serious navigational malfunction. The ship drifted into an approach vector of a spacecraft delivering supplies to Tanga Station, and there was a collision. A Hoxha flight engineer aboard the stricken ship attempted to manually override the navigation to avoid the collisions, but she got electrocuted in the process. Sadly, she died from her injuries. With two damaged ships adrift near Tanga, Bergstadt sent one of their Valkyra-class recovery ships to secure both ships and return them to Braddis Station for repairs. As a result of the accident, the fleet widened the no-fly zone, and the Samcoma announced a hearing into the incident. Everyone involved has been subpoenaed, including the ship's captain, Hoxha leadership, and Hagen Defense Industries' upper management, including titled House Hagen members. Selma, the head of House Hagen, told me that the traditionalists are trying to politicize the incident, but everyone assumes the hearing will just prove that it was just an unfortunate accident. Selma is a very outspoken member of the Federation Party and despises the traditionalist-controlled Samcoma. In fact, the last time she appeared before a hearing, she actually painted her nails just to show her disdain for the traditionalist questions. Jeremy told me that watching Selma is the only thing he's looking forward to about the hearing because he expects to be thrown into an ice lioness den when it's his turn to be questioned. I have seen him plenty of times in Sam Coma hearings, and he is almost unrecognizable when he drops his laid-back persona and transforms into Hoxha Deputy Director Dr. Jeremy Skarsgar. <laughs> I told him that he was going to be fine. Our conversation got a little uncomfortable when he whispered that he wished I was there with him, and I told him that I missed him too, and we both just stared at each other on the vid screen. And then he said, well, if I get fired, Helgi already sent me a Verkstad application. <laughs> and we both laughed at Uncle Helgi's cheekiness. But even if he was back on Hymavina, we know nothing would change between us. He still loves to be out among the stars, and I love just looking up at them. Which reminds me, with the exception of Bjorn's father Nikolai as the monoculture speaker, I have not seen the confirmed attendance list for the next trade summit. Because the trade leaders are now selecting advisors by industry, I might not be selected if consumer technology is not on the schedule. I will try, though, and hopefully I will see you there next year. The press will go nuts. 
our names would probably not even get mentioned. It'll be something like, Iria and Gisto's grandkids meet on Tanga Station. <laughs> Are you sure you're ready for that? Ruby has been interviewed by everyone, and the picture of her and Quinn embracing with touched foreheads is iconic now. It graced the covers of several news magazines, and Hoxa and the Academy have the photo up in their lobbies. You saw the network. It's still on the front page. Ruby is an introverted scientist and was not accustomed to all the attention. But she did tell me that she was okay with it because her grandkids told her that she is now their cool grandma. <laughs> Remember last time I told you about the new project Bjorn was working on? Well, it was buying out House Tyran. House Tyran is a huge technology corporation on Ghanima, largely known for creating one amazing product and riding on its patents for centuries. More recently, they are known for hiring new, off-world college graduates, making them sign non-compete contracts for a limited number of years, and then pulling their work visas to avoid paying benefits, and sometimes even salaries. Aside from being ripe for corporate rating, buying out House Tyran was personal to Laurelins, because Elena was once one of those young, off-world employees. After House Laurelin sent their offer to the House Tyran board, Bjorn and I were talking to Daya Yalin and her husband at the annual St. Linnea party on Alondra, hosted by House Hagen. Daya and I were embarrassing Bjorn, and we reminisced about our first encounter with him at the same party almost 18 years ago. <laughs> and out of nowhere, Kirdra, the head of House Tyran, walked up to our group and poked Bjorn in the chest and said, I should lay a formal accusation against you for that insulting offer. House Tyran's roots go back to Lulea, and we survived the Great War. No upstart from that dirty rock you call home will be our downfall. Bjorn sipped his ale and calmly responded, We shall see, but it's always a pleasure speaking with you, Kirdra. She glared at him and stormed off. A week later, Janine and her public relations team released an expose on House Tyran's illegal business practices to the media, making their company radioactive. Bjorn and Elena flew to Ghanima, and the House Tyran board accepted House Laurelin's offer, which Bjorn had further reduced in light of the bad press. <laughs> Bjorn told me later that Kirdra had no idea his mom once worked for her, which made it even more satisfying to Elena. After Bjorn signed the papers, Elena looked at Kirdra and recited an old Veronian saying, Vala tukive musta, which roughly means, a cast stone remembers. <laughs> Bjorn immediately broke up the company, scooped out the profitable contracts, and sold off the rest for twice what he paid. <laughs> To say that Bjorn was a tad unsufferable for a few weeks is an understatement. As far as my work goes, this may pique your interest. House Jorgensen rolled out our new line of gaming systems. My marketing department got them featured on all of the major technology sites. We debuted our systems at Avalanche Gaming's annual convention, Avacon, where they were used to demo the latest expansion of Realm of the Fallen Oracle, Rise of the Valkyrie. If that wasn't enough, we also won the contract with Koldaxia Entertainment 
to exclusively feature our systems in their Solar Storm Arena Battle Tournament. Annoyingly, the main complaint about our new system is the color of the case. We only offer four standard colors, with custom colors as a special order option. Less than 2% of the orders are for custom colors. <laughs> Whatever. Our sales are exceeding projections, so I'll take the win. And yes, of course, I managed to get you and Hobby copies of the expansion and a box of Avalanche Gaming swag. <laughs> well, that reminds me of a funny story. It maybe was a few days after the convention that I got a message from Bjorn that Oli and his latest fiancé had broken up and that he was assembling the group to cheer Oli up. Bjorn and Oli remind me of you and Javi, brothers from different mothers. Oli could call Bjorn and say, I need to bury a body. And Bjorn would show up with a shovel, no questions asked. <laughs> so Sonnet, Eriko, and I headed to Bjorn's house with lots of alcohol and the last bottle of citrus I had from Javi's family farm. Several drinks later, Oli turned to me and drunkenly said, it was too bad that Heimavinans usually don't remarry because he would marry me. Bjorn, equally drunk, immediately protested and said that if I was going to remarry, it would be to him because my girls told him that he was on their list. <laughs> This obligated me to embarrassingly explain the girl's list to the group. Oli, like you, was offended that he was not included. <laughs> Sonnet, Eriko, and I ended up in fits of laughter as Oli and Bjorn tried to explain why the other would be the worst husband and didn't deserve to be on the list. I learned from Bjorn that Oli has terrible fit odor and farts like an elger after drinking ale. From Oli... I learned that Bjorn takes longer to get ready than all four of Oli's ex-wives put together. Sonnet confirmed that was true, having shared a bathroom with Bjorn growing up. This went on for a while, until Bjorn said, Oli likes to watch Futbolta. And I shook my head, and I apologized to Oli, and said that I cannot be with another sports fan. Ever-humble Bjorn immediately raised his arms in victory, and then wrapped his arms around me and nuzzled a part of my neck where he discovered I'm very ticklish. <laughs> Oli said, Fine, but Cicela, you should at least know how he got the nickname, One Sock. Bjorn launched himself at Oli in an attempt to silence him, which led to them playfully wrestling on the floor as Oli shouted out the story. <laughs> Don't feel too bad for Oli. He has since rebounded and is in love once again. <laughs> the rest of the year has been mostly business as usual. Work, playdates, repeat. However, right after Talina had a huge snowstorm, Bjorn and I were supposed to attend a political fundraiser. Ugh. Jason, I hate political fundraisers, even if I like the candidate. I was just not feeling it. And when I got into his vehicle... I mentioned that I was not in the mood to listen to speeches that night. And Bjorn immediately took off his tie and said, Good. Me neither. What do you want to do instead? Dinner? And I smiled, and I told him that sounded great. As long as it was somewhere without kid menus. We headed to the neighborhood tavern, 
and discovered that they had live music on Wednesday nights. So we returned the following week. And it has become our Wednesday night thing and something to look forward to every week. Sometimes other people join us, like Janine and Rune. But most of the time, it's just us. It's funny that you brought up having new experiences, because Bjorn and I literally had that same conversation at dinner one Wednesday night. We talked about how all the two of us ever do is work, and how the Vinstrasses were taking the girls to Vasa for two weeks, and what a great experience that would be for the girls. And then Bjorn told me about a bunch of places around town that he hasn't even been to yet. So I suggested maybe we take the following week off and finally go see those places. The following week, we went on a day hike around Selden Canyon Park, which has the best views of the Tallina skyline. Another day, we took a ferry to Helska and explored their art district and poked into their famous galleries. We found little places to eat, discovered microbreweries, and we finally got to see the Sauna Falls. I attached pictures. It was incredible. What makes these falls unique is that the water comes from a large hot spring. The falls feed into a massive natural pool. The salt and the algae found in the warm water and the mud are great for the skin and rumored to make you look younger. Needless to say, all the people in the pool smeared mud on their faces, including us. (laughs) We also spent a few days lounging by his pool, just relaxing, and we agreed that we needed to do that more often. By the time the girls returned from Alondra, I was already planning our return trip back to Haimavina, and I already told you about how thrilled the girls were about that. (laughs) Bjorn suggested that the girls should have a going-away party for their friends, and offered to host the party at his house. I attached a vid of the girls' faces when they walked into his game room which was completely transformed into Captain Cosmos's spacecraft. <laughs> I thought he went a little overboard, but the Laurelin sisters said that this was actually pretty tame compared to what he did for them when they were kids. But then, Bjorn ran down the stairs and called out, To the stars and back! And while the girls cheered, me and the Laurelin sisters could barely breathe from laughter because Bjorn was dressed as Captain Cosmos. (laughs) When parents came to collect their kids after the party, they couldn't believe the sight of Bjorn, the stoic and enigmatic head of House Laurelin, dressed in costume for their kids. (laughs) Um, I've attached some pictures for Aaron, too. (laughs) Bjorn mentioned that he wanted to do something special for our last Wednesday, which also happened to be my 56th birthday. He told me to dress formally. So that evening, I walked into my kitchen wearing my favorite formal gown. And Bjorn was in a black formal suit, pouring us some sparkling vin. And he looked over at me, and I saw his face light up. And I grinned, and I said, Hmm, eagerly waiting for me. I could get used to that. (laughs) And Bjorn laughed out loud at a line that he once used on me a lifetime ago. He handed me the glass and said, Happy birthday, beautiful. Bjorn took me to dinner at an Antremere-rated restaurant, and then we headed to the Tessellate Theater for opening night of the ballet, something we both have always wanted to go to, and then a late dessert at a cafe shop in our neighborhood. 
As we walked back to his house, I felt a warm breeze tickle me against the cool host air. And Bjorn said, I guess that's Stromsheim's winds calling us home. And I was amazed that he remembered that old superstition. Later, I was sitting out in his spa, mesmerized by the spacecraft pattern from Avalon Station, when Bjorn joined me. He handed me a cup of real Velenkelta that he received from Admiral Sven Farrell. Sven received a few boxes of Kelta as part of his gifts from Tanga Station, and he passed out the extras at the last Vonlichbuch. We both sipped from our cups and decided, while the flavor was on the savory side, it was soothing. And then he asked, Well, what do you think? Can I return home with you and the girls? And Bjorn did return with us. He's actually outside on the patio with the girls making these flower crowns. <laughs> okay, maybe you're right. There may be something there that I had not noticed before you said something. And he really does care about me and the girls. But it also could be that he's just a good friend who wants to be there for someone going through something he's already experienced. I don't know. But we can talk about this over drinks on Tanga Station. And maybe we'll be toasting some good news for you and Aaron. <laughs> I'm crossing my thumbs. I'll see you in a few months. Love, CJ. Age 56. You've been listening to an episode of Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason has been played by Steve Petricelli. Music by Eric Matias and soundimage.org. Thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan, and Samantha. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website. We have multiple levels of support, with a lot of fun, special features like transcripts and photos. Or if you just want to donate to our Café, Bjor, or Sidrus funds, it is always appreciated. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at TheBinarySaga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on Discord for general chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can also read the print version of the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. Print versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga.